0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. You're listening to that Chelsea Podcast, Episode 88, Season Review. Welcome back to that Chelsea podcast for the thirty ninth and final time this season. I'm joined by Jack Davies as always. How are we doing, sir? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you, mate.
1: Looking forward to yeah, deciphering the past season and and yeah, going through what, what we've achieved, what we haven't achieved. Um, and then yeah, looking forward to a bit of a break, I think. And then we'll get ready for next season.
0: Yeah, exactly. We'll be back stronger next season and returning to the podcast and it's quite fitting that he on for our final episode of the season as he was on the very first of the season. It is, of course, Adam Newsom from Football London. Adam, how are we doing?
2: I'm good. Thank you. I'm good. I'm,
0: uh,
2: I've enjoyed the weekend where I haven't had to travel somewhere. So uh, it's been nice that uh, just being at home almost. So yeah, no, I'm good. Thank you.
0: Lovely, lovely stuff. As I always do with guests, I get them to give themselves a plug. So Adam, why don't you tell the brilliant people where they can find you? On it and obviously find all your work for Football London because this has been uh, quite a busy time time for you because I'll just let listeners in we are recording a bit later than planned because Chelsea dropped a bit of a bombshell uh, yesterday morning of a time or two days ago when you are hearing this about put pay to of our plans then but just when you tell people you know where they can find you and you sort of work to look out for
2: Yeah obviously yeah Football London and uh, just at Adam Newsom across pretty much all the socials so so yeah if you can follow me that would be great if not I won't hold it against you
0: make sure you follow Adam for top Chelsea news and it'll be obviously an interesting summer ahead for Chelsea. Right I've devised a bit of a running order for people today so first off obviously throughout this season listeners have heard Jack and I talk about Chelsea on a weekly basis Um, but obviously we wanted I wanted to start just getting I guess Adam's experience of uh, covering Chelsea this season here's kind of I guess the point of view because obviously Adam this is your first full season Covering Chelsea, you've started covering Chelsea sort of, I think, at the back end of Frank's, the very sort of end of Frank's reign last year. And this has been a full year, you know, crowds are back, you know, you've kind of been at the end allowed into press rooms, etc. And you've been, it's been, I guess, less strict on, you know, rules and stuff. So you've been able to, I guess, do more and cover more than what you may have done previously. So just want to get your thoughts, because it's been a long, long season for Chelsea, 63 games. Just what was your kind of experience covering Chelsea and working, you know, writing for ch- about Chelsea this season?
2: I was going to say, yes, it's been very long. Very long, um, and there's a lot that's happened. Obviously, I mean, you kind of take the Chelsea gig knowing that a lot's going to happen, just because of the nature of the club. You probably don't expect Roman Abramovich to sell the club in your first season covering it. Um, you probably don't expect that to come because of war in Europe all of a sudden. Um, so yeah, it's it's been a uh, it's been a a busy season. It's been an enjoyable one. There's been some really good moments. There's obviously been some disappointment um, that things probably didn't quite pan out as hoped in the Premier League because obviously up until about December, Chelsea were looking like they were mounting a decent title challenge um, and that fell away for for various reasons over December. Um, But, you know, uh, I... My job is to go and watch Chelsea. I get paid to go to Chelsea games. Um, so look, I'm an incredibly lucky guy. Um, I appreciate my position. I enjoy it. I have enjoyed covering the club for a full season um, and I'm looking forward to the next one now. And yeah, it's been nice to have a weekend off and I'll have a few more. Um, but I guarantee you by sort of late June, I'll be wanting to get back to games and, and get back on that sort of mill of, of games, press a game. so. So yeah, um, it's been good. It's been great. I, I, yeah, I can't complain really, despite the fact it's been incredibly busy.
0: Yeah, no, of course, of course. Um, Right, going to look back before we look at Chelsea's, we're going to look back and I guess have a laugh maybe and also maybe realise, you know, our predictions we made at the start of the season weren't all that bad. Um, at the start of the season when Adam was on, I got asked to all give our predictions for top four. All of us in fourth place had Manchester United. All of us in third place had Liverpool. All of us in second had Chelsea and all of us in first place had City. Um, Jack, just quick thoughts on that. Obviously, we were all quite aligned. Um, looking back, obviously, United didn't quite go to plan. Um, yeah. But I guess we did all get City winning the league. And I say up till January, sort of at like the time, Chelsea were second in the league. Um, not, I guess not bad <laughs> predictions from us, but uh, yeah, could have uh, been yeah, I
1: think it's, it's all right. Three, well, three out of the four, not all in the correct order, but three out of the four. And I think when it was the start of the season, we saw Nuno in charge of Spurs. None of us were ever gonna guess Spurs being fourth, so um, that's that's obviously the anom- 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 anomaly or whatever you call it, <laughs> normally yeah. yeah. struggling. Um, and then Conte's come in and, and done a good job for them. So yeah, I think that's the top four we said was pretty standard. Um, and then yeah, just to be fair, funny seeing United completely slip off the uh, off the cliff edge of that.
0: Yeah, exactly. After signing Ronaldo, Sancho, etc. Yeah, that was an interesting one. Um, For relegation, we all said Watford would go down. Jack and Adam said Norwich would go down. I said Norwich would stay up because I thought Billy Gilmore would pull the strings about Norwich side. And yeah, that was, uh, I was very wrong there. Adam thought Newcastle would go down. And then to be fair, till the takeover, I think that was a very fair, fair take. And it certainly looked like that could happen. Jack, interestingly, said Brighton would go down so that was that was a trick and I said Southampton would go down and if the season had continued for a few weeks who knows I may well have been right given how they ended there uh, Chelsea in all comps we then predicted we all said we would win the Super Cup and the Club World Cup uh, I said we would go on the fifth round of the FA Cup because I said we would not reach three finals in a row that just wouldn't happen and lo and behold we did uh, I said we'd win the League Cup that obviously didn't happen and I said we would get to the Champions League quarter final so I was a bit more pessimistic than Jack and Adam and I you know I was right there Jack, um, Jack said we would win the FA Cup. He said we would get to the League Cup semis and the UEFA Champions League semis. Adam was quite vague in the FA Cup. He said we would go far. The League Cup, Adam was not fussed about, and he said we'd get to the Champions League semi finals. Um, Adam, obviously, you know, I guess we'll kind of in more detail there, but the Champions League semi finals, you and Jack kind of alluded to there. We lost to the eventual winners, Real Madrid. You know, given. Real Madrid's run. Obviously, they've won the Champions League despite not really being in control for you know more than an hour, maybe of any of their knockout ties. Um, when we look back, obviously, the quarterfinals is that still like I guess for Chelsea proving it's not quite you know proving last season not a one-off because obviously they did they did win around a round of sixteen tie they did go you know did go further than they did last time they defend ground and they were ten minutes away from an incredible turnaround against Real Madrid. So I guess you know semi-finals might have underperformed your expectation given how they actually got into you know where that Champions League run you know safe still fairly successful
2: yeah but I think that first game against Real Madrid at Stamford Bridge will still irritate Thomas Tuchel because Chelsea was so off it for 45 minutes and went 2-0 down and obviously you come out that second half at 2-1 and then Mendy makes that mistake and that killed Chelsea. They, you know, I was incredibly fortunate to be at the Bernabeu for the return leg, and Chelsea were brilliant. It was probably one of the best performances I've seen in a good while from a Chelsea team. And you just were frustrated that they'd left themselves in such a position where they needed to go and win three 0 at the Bernabeu, and it was incredible they got to that point. So, yeah, it's a good achievement, of course, to reach quarterfinals, but I still think there'll be that sort of tinge of regret. That The semi-finals was there, I think, had Chelsea been a bit more on it in that first leg against Real Madrid. Because, yeah, I mean, who knows with this Real Madrid team, they make no sense. Um, and fair play to them for winning the Champions League, despite probably playing well for, a, I don't know, less than 90 minutes, all told, in the knockout stages. So, hey, good luck to them. Um, great prediction on the FA Cup for me, uh, that Chelsea would go far. That was uh, bang on. Um I obviously meant they would lose in the final on penalties. Um, So, yeah, it's it's a strange season to evaluate at this point because, yes, we've got two trophies and and they're, you know, completely on merit. Um, You get you reach two domestic finals. You lose them on penalties. It's unfortunate, but I've seen a lot of people on social media, which is obviously never the best barometer for anything, um, almost a bit down on this season, but I don't think it's been a bad season by any stretch. I think it's been a good season it could have been a very good season with the domestic cups and and yeah I, I I think it's 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 been a it's been a good campaign for the most part um especially given what Chelsea had to deal with
0: yeah no of course and we'll kind of go through the campaign in a bit more detail in a little bit uh next one I said was a player to look out for or a dark horse is so someone who would have a big season for Chelsea uh Jack said Reese James and me and Adam said Callum Hudson-Odoi Jack, I mean, Reese James, he did have a big season. He went from strength to strength. And then I guess uh, for Adam and I, Calamad Snodoy, there were moments when that was looking quite good, and then unfortunately injury curtailed his season. So yeah, it was, again, not bad there. Players who needed a big season, Jack said Timo Werner, Hakim Ziyech and Christian Pulisic. I said Christian Pulisic, Ruben Loftus-Cheek and Mateo Kovacic. And again, Mateo Kovacic, I think firmly did have a very good season. Adam said Timo Werner, Hakim Ziyech. Christian Pulisic and this one's this one's not age Chris Andres Christensen to prove it wasn't a flash in the pan to show he can be the man at Chelsea for the next five or six years um, yeah we oh, all no. know how that has ended up um, but I just quickly I guess you know I think it's fair to say Timo Werner some moments but did not have a big season we needed Hakim Ziyech had moments some more moments from last season but did not have a big season and Christian Pulisic certainly did not have that big season but maybe had some moments as well uh, I think Mateo Kovacic firmly did have a big season and Ruben loftus certainly showed he, you know, had a fairly big promising season. And we'll get on to that in the awards after this. Uh, top scorer, we all said Lukaku. And I've got Jack's quote, big problem if not. Well, <laughs> yeah. And then i also thought Kai might get 15 plus. So not, yeah. Kai, there was a moment, to be fair, where Kai was on form where a little like that could happen. But and then as Chelsea kind of got knocked out of the Champions League, the players were on the beach. Next prediction was who will win the player of the season? Jack said Lukaku, but we also thought Habits would have a big season. Adam, and this I said Kante, if he plays 35 plus games, and go to Kante did not play 35 plus games. And I said Mason Mount, which I don't think I don't. he was the deserved winner, but fair enough. Pull that one off. And then if, one, uh,
2: I'm just going to say, even if Kante played 35 games, if he played them as he played most of 2022, he would not have won player of the season.
0: Yeah, yeah. We, Certainly, Kante did not live up to the billing this year. It's it's quite crazy how, I mean, I know he's had injuries, but the drop-off in levels from that Champions League run to what we've seen this season. And then our final prediction, one thing you hope to see this season, I said less of a reliance on Mason Mount. Not sure we've seen that, maybe a little bit. Jack said to play exciting football and get the crowd going. We had that till Chilwell's injury. Uh, Adam, support in for the whole season. We got that. Uh, from a journalist's point of view, the Chelsea Buffet, so Adam, you know, you wanted to experience the Chelsea Buffet, so Adam, how was the Chelsea Buffet? Uh,
2: it was still restricted until the last sort of six weeks when it returned in all its glory. Um, yeah, that was a very self-absorbed thing to say <laughs> really, but there we go.
0: At Adam's final one fan perspective less toxicity on social media a quote a dream that will never happen and I think it's fair to say that dream certainly did not happen so yeah that was um that was that those were our predictions so yeah not some good some bad um now we're going to kind of before we go on to the season more we'll kind of break down the season so we can go into a bit more depth because it does feel this season there are some big moments some big chapters that happen which kind of change the course of the season so Adam I'll start with you you know I guess for the first part we start we, I want to go from August till Ben was injury slash that West Ham defeat. Crowds were back. That was the main thing. I mean, people were in grounds. Chelsea were playing good football. Life was good. Obviously, I think there was that bounce from, you know, the Champions League that was still going over. You know, I just know from experience being in those away and those 30 weeks of the season, Champions of Europe, the fans were loving it. We had that Super Cup bounce and the league form was going pretty well. We were top of the league. You know, it's crazy to think about it. We were actually top of the league for quite a few weeks this season. We obviously had that phenomenal Juventus game which is perhaps maybe the game of the season which we'll get on to later but just looking back you know to that I guess from that from August till the Chilwell injury slash West Ham that was probably the happiest moment of the season wasn't it it just felt like really good vibes around at Chelsea at that point
2: yeah it did and um, I if I can remember correctly I mean I say it's been a long season in those early weeks I didn't think Chelsea were playing brilliant football but they were getting the job done um we were very much focused on Lukaku and, you know, Lukaku got some goals early on and there was this feeling of once you bed in Lukaku properly, Chelsea are really gonna really gonna take off and and then he got injured and, and then that brought in Kai Havertz back into into the role as, as the nine and there was that spell of a month where Chelsea suddenly were flying. Um you had off feet, you had James feet, you had Kai as the false nine, you had Mount playing well and it obviously all culminated in um in that Juventus game and you know you had Callum on the left and Mount on the right and Kai as, as a nine and it, it all worked and that's when Hudson Odoi was looking potentially like the player that maybe he could be or many still feel he can and then yeah that Juventus game was fantastic we'll talk about it more later as, as well I'm sure Um, but it's very sad that what was probably the pinnacle of Chelsea season um was also very much the beginning of of its sort of decline Um when Chilwell goes down, I mean, nobody really thinks at that point. Yeah, this is going to be a catalyst now for a bit of a collapse. But sadly, it was. Um, but yeah, those early months were were very enjoyable, um, especially as, as sort of performances picked up closer and closer through sort of October um, into November.
0: Yeah, because Jack, obviously, we had a spell. We beat. We put seven past Norwich. We won at St James's Park again. You know, that was, big. we played sublime against Leicester as well, because everyone, I think everyone will talk about that Juventus game, but that Leicester game, 3-0 away, that was arguably one of also the performances of the season. And the game that we probably could have won, I think we had two two or three goals rolled out as well in that game for offside, a game that, you know, we really showed, I guess, where this team was coming, Is how just devastating a blow was that, you know, chill injury. But also, we kind of, obviously after that, we drew one all with United in the game. We dominated, yeah. a stupid error, but we got a draw. We then scraped past Watford away. <laughs> Uh, which was also the birth of the Edouard Mendy chart. Um, and then after that, I guess it's where Chelsea lost first place. And I guess, I don't want to say the title dream died, but I guess the first real, real cracks appeared when we lost at West Ham. And I guess that West Ham game is probably a huge turning point in a game where just Chelsea, Chelsea just made individual errors, really bad individual errors.
1: Yeah. I mean, like you were saying, when when we played Leicester, we were honestly unbelievable. Um, and that was kind of a moment where I know you look back now and you're like why did well why did I think that?" But at the time I thought like this this team where we were playing at that point, you thought we've got a good chance here. we could really go and push with push with city again and go toe to toe with them, but not meant to be as you said the West Ham game that was a killer blow, but then I think the one when we played Everton just just quite recently after that game, where they had about Literally about eight first team players playing all these kids because of COVID and things, and and we drew one one with them, and it was just yeah results like that, drawn with Burnley at home, all these poor results at home that I think eventually really killed the momentum, and then uh, we all know what happens around Christmas, so that was that was the end of that title charge and back to a back to a usual top
0: four race. Yep, yeah, because obviously as we said, we, December happened. After that defeat to West Ham, Chelsea scraped past Leeds 3-2 of a 94th, 95th minute penalty from Jorginho, Adam, which I guess at the time kept Chelsea still in the title race. They were only two, three points off top. But then I guess a difficult week. They drew with Everton 1-1 in a game where Chelsea, I guess the story of Chelsea season, they dominated a really poor Everton side. And Everton side that were useless away from home this season as well. They conceded a sloppy goal. Uh, and then go to Wolves with about 15 players. If that draw nil nil, and I guess that week was probably the week that killed Chelsea's title dreams.
2: Yeah, I think so. Um, and I remember around the the Everton game, there were a lot of COVID cases as well, and it was all it was all very chaotic. Um, I remember, I mean, vaguely remember now that reporting on that day and getting bits of, of information from people saying. Oh, this person tested positive. Oh, no, they haven't. They're now going to do a a PCR and then you're waiting for the PCR. And it just sounded like, honestly, Thomas Tuchel and Chelsea didn't know who exactly they were going to be able to use it against uh, Everton until sort of probably a couple of hours before kickoff, if that. So, yeah, that wasn't ideal. And then then Wolves was a game that I, I still don't quite understand how Chelsea didn't get that game called off, given how loose the rules were going forward after that um for for game cancellation so yeah very frustrating and, and that period was really tough on Chelsea not just because they had to play players often but because you know Mateo Kovacic played against Wolves I think he played about half an hour 35 minutes and it was his first appearance in three months and uh or sort of two months and he was rushed back in and then back in the team because there was nobody else and and it's that it's that which has really killed Chelsea because it isn't so much. Yes, we had a lot of games. Of course, Chelsea had a lot of games, but it was that needing to play players who weren't fit and having to rush them back and not giving them the time they needed, and and then that not had a knock-on effect later in the season with other injuries picked up. So, so yeah, it was um, it was a difficult period that for Chelsea and, and one that really did kill them in the title race.
0: Yep, Jack. You know, following on there was obviously a famous interview. And then by by a Belgian striker for us after he bagged two in two games. Well, obviously the interview was conducted before those two games, um, but there was quite a fallout there. And um, yeah, that was that was certainly far from ideal.
1: Uh, yeah, that was uh, <laughs> coming at a point where yeah we were struggling, and you just think that is literally the last thing we need to be released at that point in time. Got the whole fan base up in arms. People kind of. Some people kind of giving Lukaku a bit of benefit of the doubt, and others just absolutely hammering him. Um, yeah, it kind of brought that little bit of toxicness back up amongst the fans. I think I know most people were most people were pissed off about it, but yeah, it just brings that kind of yeah nastiness which you don't want when when you need to be supporting supporting the whole squad. Um, so I mean I don't think we can. <laughs> you don't need to go too much into what was said in that interview. Everyone everyone knows that it was a poor poor mistake on uh, Lukaku's behalf, and yeah, one that contributed to to us like the derailing of our season, really.
0: Yeah, no, of course, because I'm after that. It meant that the Kai Havertz started against Liverpool. In what was probably one of the craziest games of the season, a tool game, Jack, where you know, I remember you and I were there together and when Liverpool went 2-0 up, we thought, cough they get 30, we might just have to to go home or have But in the space of five minutes, it was tool all, you know, I think quite a lot of people missed both goals because they were you were going around, you know, down the for a pint at half time. <laughs> but Jack, obviously, then that was probably, you know, just not even just from a Chelsea perspective, but in terms of like the neutral Fed, that was probably up there for one of the games of the season that Liverpool game. And it kind of just showed as well to Chelsea, it was almost quite a unifying moment away Because obviously there's a, you know, after the fallout from Makaaki, there's like, what will happen, etc. But that team really, you know, showed that they were really still fighting for Thomas Tuchel. They were still like really strong and they put in a really good performance and, you know, a game that they really probably should have won in the end.
1: Definitely. And against a very, very good team going down 2-0 down against, against Liverpool is, is not an easy job and to bring it back in the fashion they did. Great goal from Pulisic after after a big miss like big miss early on when it was um, nil nil and you thought that's exactly what Liverpool do better than us they kill their chances one chance and it's a goal and we we're just fluffing lines um, but yeah good goal from him and an absolute cracker from from Kovačić uh, and it was a game where we we could have won we could have easily won that game um, but yeah like you said from from a neutral point of view it was. Probably one of our best games of the season for sure.
0: Yep, yeah. and obviously, amidst while this was going on, Chelsea had you know were making progress in the Carabao Cup. They'd obviously progressed past Brentford in the quarterfinal, final, featuring you know starting a you know a fairly young side: three, three Davies, Aaron Harvey, Vale, Jude, Sunset Bell, and Javier Simmons, getting all their starts and progress is made. And obviously, Adam, Chelsea, I guess as usual habit happens, beat Spurs three times in a matter of weeks, beating Antonio Conte's side three times. As Chelsea, you know, still made pro, despite all this Celtic time, still made, you know, progress in the cups. There was a really also scrappy, horrible win against Plymouth, uh, Plymouth Argyle in the FA Cup. I mean, it led us to perhaps the high point, one of the certainly the other high point season, which was that Club World Cup, as Chelsea finally got their hands on the Club World Cup in not very convincing circumstances, but also with Romelu Lukaku playing quite a big role with obviously goals in the semi final and final.
2: Yeah, it was important for him to, to get those goals. Almost a bit of a justification um, after a difficult, what was it, month, six weeks for him. Um, but yeah, Chelsea didn't exactly play well out uh, out, out there. And um, it was just important that they won and they did. And, and you know, they got that trophy. Um, yeah, you mentioned those Spurs games. They were so, I don't know, Tottenham were so bad that it didn't really feel like any sort of, it didn't feel momentous at all to be beating Spurs three times in three weeks because of just how poor they were, and the fact you had Conte after the game just completely writing them off was was very amusing. But um, but yeah, from from a club World Cup perspective, it was a nice one to get get their hands on. Even though, as you say, they they weren't exactly convincing in either game. But um, but hey, it doesn't it doesn't matter how you win these trophies at the at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. Obviously, going back to that Spurs game, that first leg in the Carabao Cup, Salg started and pulled the strings in midfield. Um, Kai Havertz scored a goal and there was a very comical own goal from Ben Davies as well. Uh, we then rocked up to the lane about a week later. Malang Saar, you know, played left-back, dominated. Rudiger scored a goal. The referee had a shocker. Spurs got given two penalties, which both got overturned by VAR. And then Spurs also had a goal disallowed for offside because Keppel was quite clever in getting out. And there's certain rule meant that obviously... Route, there was a defender behind him, whatever. I mean, playing Kane was played offside, etc. Anyway, we progressed to a you know a Carabao Cup final, which is, I guess Adam, where we get to now. Obviously, there was a feel-good factor after winning the champions, um, after winning the Club World Cup. There was that you know very forgettable game away at Crystal Palace, where Hakim Ziyech saved the day and Romelu Lukaku had his famous seven touches. Um, but then we moved to the Club World uh, uh, to the Carabao Cup final, which happened just before you know the news that Roman you know was kind of putting up for sale, etc. Or been been central. Where no, putting up for sale. That was it. And that Carabao Cup final, that was a game, especially given the manner of defeat, that kind of almost felt the first big blow Chelsea took that season because they played brilliantly against Liverpool. They had, I mean, Mason Mount hit the post, Christian Pujicic missed Gilway chance, Mount missed other Gilted's chances. Um, And then it went to pens and it went down to Kepa. And then unfortunately, he was the man who blazed it over. And I say from that Carabao Cup final, we had the sanctions where Chelsea, to be fair, still you know, up to, I guess, that Brentford game, still actually perform well on the pitch, they actually won a lot of league games, you know, one of on their best sort of run of league form in the season. But I guess from that, you know, final, I guess, it, you know, that period was quite, it was obviously a period of uncertainty for Chelsea, there was also a lot of, I guess, you, the way it was sent reported report by certain aspects of the media, you know, you'd think Chelsea had almost started a war in Ukraine, given by the way some people went off about it, but that period How kind of almost it was also almost quite a unifying moment as well because the fans got behind the team, the players got behind team and they didn't play necessarily amazingly well in this period. But again, there were you know late winners at home to Newcastle, etc. Just this sort of period of time, it wasn't perhaps the most enjoyable, but it did almost feel almost at that point that siege mentality was starting to create, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, it did. Um, It was a very strange time for the club. Um, Huge sort of periods of uncertainty. after Abramovich was well obviously put the club up for sale and was then sanctioned um but on the pitch as you say it didn't really impact Chelsea too much um day-to-day at Cobham it didn't impact them too much um on the pitch until after the international break and they came back and they had that that poor little run um but it was it was a good sign for for Tuchel and of his players' um, mindset, really, that they could push through it, um, and the fans. I felt, you know, we could probably talk about this in a second, but towards the end of the season, I did think everybody was very much drained of it all, um, and you could feel that at matches, um, and you could feel that around, just the feeling around the club. But, but in that immediacy, straight after the the sale and uh, sale announcement and and the sanctions, there was a, a siege mentality, and there was strong backing for the players. And and for the most part, they did respond.
0: Yeah. And Jack, obviously, I guess there's also a moment where we saw Thomas Tuchel really, you know, we obviously know the brilliance of Thomas Tuchel manager, but they, this also felt like a rumor. And Thomas Tuchel's bond with the Chelsea fans grew a lot closer. Obviously, you know, Femme said, you know, you take whatever mode of transport, you know, to play their game away against Lille. Those were those scenes away after that Lille second leg where he came up and was, you know, having that special moment with the fans. It really felt in a moment, Thomas Tuchel is already loved by the Chelsea fans, but that kind of moment actually foremost, you know, really did just bring that bond stronger, than he? The way he conducted himself, you know, just, he really was a brilliant ambassador for the club, As- yeah. answering questions that he really shouldn't have had to answer.
1: That's exactly what I was going to say. He's just was almost like the spokesman for the club and it, that's just not his job. He's employed to to coach the players and get results. But yeah, he handled himself, himself so well, answered questions in, in a in a good manner, um and yeah, it was just an absolute credit to himself. So I think, yeah, all the fans became oh, I mean, everyone loved him already, obviously, from from what he did at the end of last season winning us the Champions League. But I think a lot of people really bought into him and and that bond definitely became a lot stronger. And you've only got to look at the the uh, banner that, that the fans did for him at, in the second to last game at the end of the season in the shed, and, and you see the photo of him or the video of him noticing it and the smile he smiley makes uh, from it to show that he, he loves being at Chelsea too. So, yeah, he's, he's a quality manager and, and someone we've, we've got to back and, and believe under the new regime.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I guess this period or chapter ended with that crushing first leg defeat to Real Madrid. A, you know a painful blow and maybe one of the low points of the season but as I said Adam Chelsea then got to you know got into that position from the Bernabeu where the improbable we, a miracle was almost unfolding before our eyes Chelsea went 3-0 up but then lost in devastating fashion 3-2 and I'm like, it felt from that moment on Chelsea's season just fell apart the enthusiasm got drained the players from that moment, it felt like they were on beach. Obviously, they then beat Crystal Palace in the FA Cup semi final. They didn't play particularly well, and it just felt like almost business as usual. And then there was that 4 2 defeat to Arsenal. In general, the league form really did step up. I think we ended up only taking 12 points from the last eight league games of that season. Actually, Chelsea, in the end, for a little bit, got themselves almost into a bit of a top four scrap. But just, I guess, when we you mentioned that, that sort of Real Madrid defeat and the manner of exit, really was just the crushing blow that almost, I think, just drained everyone's enthusiasm. And although we still had an FA Cup final to look forward to, that was kind of all everyone was cared about. And the last few weeks, everyone was just wishing away and just wanting that season to end so quickly, weren't they?
2: I mean, yeah, it did feel like that. Um, that. That night in in the Bernabeu was so... I mean, it toyed with your emotions to such an extent that the come down was, was huge. Um, and let's not forget, Chelsea did actually win on the night, um, which I think people do forget. Um, but... From that point on, yeah, I mean, the takeover had been going on for a while. The sanctions had been had been impacting things. Obviously, with with Antonio Rudiger's contract and Christensen. it was becoming increasingly clear they were both going to walk. Um, and yeah, there was just a, a, a malaise um, that, that wasn't going to be fixed until until the sale was all sorted. So yeah, it's not that surprising that the players did become impacted in the end they are human they have the same concerns that a lot of us would have had um and Chelsea's place in the top four was well appeared to be so secure that it's it's natural you maybe drop that two or three percent and and then suddenly as you say there was this oh well actually no Arsenal and Tottenham are coming up we have to react here and Chelsea did a little bit and the home form wasn't great and that's something that Thomas Tucker is really going to have to sort out next season um but look, they got over the line in the end. Third place finish is, is progress from, from last season. Shame about the FA Cup final. But um hey, anyone can lose a penalty shootout.
0: Yeah, exactly. So before I go on to season wards, you know, as kind of just the season sort of summed up. Jack, I feel when we talk about Chelsea for season, it is such a season of what ifs and fine margins. I think fine and fine margins are what makes this sport because Chelsea were ten minutes away from a Champions League semi final. They were two they were two kicks of a ball away, essentially on penalties from, you know, winning two domestic cups. You know, Inj- the league, I think, is maybe less for debate because injuries and, you know, we saw similar trends emerge. But when we look at this season, it feels really hard to assess. And we're going to, I guess, try and do it now. But we won two trophies still, which is the same as Liverpool, albeit, you yeah. know, there were two trophies to be expected to win. But I guess the manner, I guess, of the defeats in the finals, it just feels really hard to assess because it's a season that, you know, given the circumstances, actually almost quite, quite incredible from us, but it just felt, in terms of like all the emotions we went through, just such a painful season at the end. And they said we were all, you know, delighted for it to end, which I guess kind of tells a story. But how do you kind of just sort of summarise and like your feelings towards Chelsea this season?
1: Yeah, I think like you said, we've got to look at it like we've won, we've won two trophies, and only Liverpool have won two as well. City only won one, but like you said, Nick, there were two trophies that we expected to win and all of us said at the start of the season we've got to win those two trophies Um, and I also think if it kind of like curtails the rest of the season those two trophies because one was right in August right at the start of the season and you kind of forget about it as it goes along obviously remember you've won the trophy but the momentum from that and like yeah i don't know the importance just kind of wanes a bit and then the club world cup of course as well in february time um which is a brilliant trophy trophy to win great moment for us to complete the set um of all like winning all the trophies but yeah it it was a difficult one those two finals just draining at the end at the end of the day when we we're at wembley just it, it is one of those like adam said Anyone can lose a penalty shootout. But ugh, I don't know, like you said, it was just, just painful, I think. I, I, I can't really describe it any other way. It's just all the other events, the takeovers, like, or, yeah, the selling of the club and the takeover, it just drained a lot of the fans. And I think those penalty shootouts just kind of sent us all right to low level.
0: Yeah, Adam, obviously Chelsea suffered, you know, the heartbreak in the Carabao Cup final. And to me, that final defeat hurt more than the FA Cup final, purely because I think we were just a lot better in that game than we were in the FA Cup final. But obviously at that time, we still just, you know, recently become uh, champions of the world. We still were in the Champions League, whereas that FA Cup final was kind of what, by the end, what our season was riding on. And it kind of felt not, you know, the fans just almost needed that one last boost just to really, you know, Gain some because enthusiasm and like morale was almost um, almost at an all-time low at this point of the season when you kind of look back at Chelsea's season 63 games it it, you know there's some fine margins a lot of what it's where do you kind of assess this season and how Chelsea have kind of moved on from last season because they won two trophies very expected to win but they've still got to win them you know it just feels like there were fine margins and again you know even if we win one of those penalty shootouts we're looking at this season very probably very differently
2: yeah, you would be, of course. Um, you win both and it's four trophies in a season, which is a huge a huge thing. Um yes, the Super Cup and and the Club World Cup were almost sort of legacy trophies having won the Champions League. Um and I guess the cold reality of it is Chelsea finished nineteen points behind Manchester City last season and they finished nineteen points behind Manchester City this season. So you could make the argument of has progress been made? Um I think it has. Um, given everything Chelsea have come through this season to to not fall back, I guess, is progress in itself um, which I do appreciate sounds a little bit counterintuitive but, um, but it's not been an easy season and Chelsea have shown at points that they are a very good team when everybody's fit. Now, the problem remains and I think we may have spoken about it um, last time I was on what this season has highlighted, yeah, again, is that Chelsea don't have a squad capable of competing um, for the Premier League title. When the first 11s there and the first elevens fit, yep, absolutely capable. Um, when you are losing key players, and obviously the, the argument here is, is Ben Chilwell. when you're having to replace him with Marcus Alonso, and this isn't a dig at Marcus Alonso, but he's such a different profile of player to Chirwell. Um And it's the same when, when Reese went out and you, you've got Poliqueta coming in, um, these these uh, things uh, are huge, um, that they're not stylistically similar because then Tuchel has to try and, and change and, and then that creates more problems. So I think what this season has highlighted is probably what we've known for a while about this squad. Um, and there isn't a big cup win at the end of it to maybe skew perception a little bit um, because the same issues with this squad were there last year. But a Champions League final win, Suddenly, changes things, and you feel, oh, actually, no, no, we, we are building. So, yes, the FA Cup final was disappointing to lose, of course, on penalties. And it was, it was very sad. It was as and Mount that missed the pens, given everything they've they've given to the club over many years, um, and in Mount's case, you know, more recently. But I think, being really harsh, it's probably good in a sense of it doesn't leave you with that little afterglow that maybe can make your judgment. A bit more clouded this summer. Um, we know where this squad are, we know the changes that have to happen. Now the task is for for the Todd Bowley um, consortium to make them happen and, and make sure that Tuchel has a squad next season that is far more aligned with his ideas and more capable of challenging City and Liverpool over 38 games.
0: Yeah, and we'll kind of get on to, I guess, maybe what next season holds a bit later when we talk about Todd Bowley. Going to move on to season awards now. So, Jack, I'm going to go for you. What was your Chelsea goal of the season this year?
1: Um, I think the one that everyone's got to go for is is Kovacic's goal against Liverpool in a big game. Especially when it's someone like kova who usually can't hit a barn door um, and he whips out a volley like that, hits the crossbar and goes in. I think it's difficult to look past that one, but... Another one I'd give a big shout-out to was Mason Mounts against West Ham. Um, the the technique on on, on that goal uh, with the instep of his foot, um, yeah, it was absolutely quality from a long ball, watching it all the way coming over and, and sticking it in the back of the net. So that would be my other shout-out, but I think cover has got to be the main one.
0: Fair enough. Adam, your goal of the season? Yeah, I mean, there's no argument for me.
2: It's Kovacic uh, against Liverpool. Just unbelievable, unbelievable technique. Uh, Backpedalling, catching a boy that sweetly. I mean, it's so hard to do. Um, My sort of left field choice would be um, Callum Hudson-Odoys against Juventus just for the feeling I had inside the ground at that point in terms of Chelsea going three and up against Juve. All goals scored by academy grads. Chelsea absolutely flying um, at that point. I think, you know, that was before Ben was knee injury. Um, at that point, you know, it did feel like anything was possible. And, and you know, that goal, I remember the celebrations just seemed to be such a, a big one. So that would be my sort of alternative one.
0: Fair enough. Uh, yeah, for goal of the season, I think Kovacic is probably the winner. Ziyech against Spurs, that was a brilliant goal as well. Uh, I think that's got to be up there. And yeah, I mean... Rüdiger's goal against Brentford is probably up there as well, but I feel we lost four-one, so I kind of want to forget about that goal. And it's in similar. Jack mentions Mount's goal; it's a brilliant goal, but no, I've not I've not watched that goal back once because we lost that game three-two. So yeah, there were some good honourable mentions there. Uh, player of the season, Jack. Who was your player of the season this year?
1: Um, I think if you looked at to top three-wise, I think my top three Mason Mount would be in there. Just carrying on from last season, people have said, oh, he might not have had as good a season as he did last season, but he keeps putting up numbers. And if he keeps going in that way, he's going to be a big, big player at this club for many years going forward. So he'll be up there. I think Rudiger this season has been absolutely immense. Just an absolute rock at the back. But for me, my player of the season has got to be Thiago Silva. Um, The man's just... Yeah, it just defies words. Really, at, at his age, playing at this standard of football against these quick players, powerful players, and he just never seems to get caught out. Um, and he, yeah, he, he's just quality. So he, he is my player of the season.
0: Fair enough, Adam. Who's your Chelsea player of the season? Yeah, Thiago Silva. Um,
2: yes, uh, Mount's posted good numbers this year, but I probably do think he was more influential in more games last year. Um, I think probably Reese James and Kovacic are involved. They've stayed fit all season, but obviously they didn't. Um, so yeah, Tiago Silva for me, he is just outlandishly good. Um, even during the difficult points for Chelsea this season, I've enjoyed watching Tiago Silva. Um, he makes defending look like an art basically and is without doubt for me, one of the best centre backs to have played for Chelsea, um, in terms of just pure ability, um, the amount of times he is already moving to the right position before a pass has been played is just ridiculous. So, yeah, Thiago, hands down. I was shocked he didn't win it, to be honest.
0: Yeah, yeah, indeed. I think so were a lot of people. Yeah, my player of the season is Thiago Silva. He was comfortably clear of the rest of me. I'll give honourable mentions. In second and third, I probably had uh, Antonio Rudiger and Mateo Kovacic. I think, you know, Tony Rudiger, pretty exceptional, season as well. And Mateo Kovacic was a player who, I don't. I was not as big on as many people were before the start of the season. I thought he was a good player, but he needed to improve a lot of aspects of his game, particularly going forward, and he certainly did this season, and he was pretty instrumental. And we saw Chelsea struggle, how much Chelsea missed the competition, how he probably went from, you know, at the start of the season, maybe being Chelsea's third best midfielder to firmly being their best by the end of it. And yeah, honourable mentions to Rhys James and Mason Mount as well. Next award, most improved player, Jack. Which Chelsea players improved the most this season?
1: Um... Uh, it's a difficult one, isn't it? No one wants to be given the most improved award. Um, but I know he didn't play for us last season, but I'm just going to go through the season and the step up he's made from playing in the French League last year. I think, for me, I find it difficult to look past someone like Trevor Chiloba, um coming into the team and you see his record when he started Premier League games for us this season. I don't think we've lost... Um, and then playing in two big cup finals, one where he didn't think he was playing until pretty soon before the game. And he stepped up in those games against the likes of Mane, Salah, uh, Diaz, etc. And and he, he was flawless. So for me, he'd be my most
0: improved player. Can I who's your most improved player at Chelsea this season? Could be Trev maybe even someone whose performance has improved from what we saw last year.
2: No, I was going to say Matej Kovacic. Um, I think we all know that there was a very good player in in Matej Kovacic. You can see it, um, but there was always that frustration of did he give you enough um, in terms of, of attacking output, and and you know did did he defend well enough as well? You know, between both boxes, he's absolutely fantastic, but it's in those in those firsts, did he do enough? And this season, it's all come together for him. Um, he's in, he's when he's been fit, he's been absolutely fantastic, um, you know, that, that output in attack has, has come forward he is he's getting more assists, he's, he's playing more important passes um, and I think the most uh, impressive thing for me is, I is think you just said there he's he's gone from third choice to first choice um, and I thought it was very telling that for the FA Cup final you had Kovacic and Kante both very big doubts for it um, and both obviously made the squad but it was Kovacic that took all, felt he had to risk and start ahead of Kante. And I felt that was quite telling.
0: Yeah, uh, my most improved player is also Mateo Kovacic. As I said, he was a player who I thought was a good player, no doubt. The talent was always there, but I thought he was, you know, perhaps quite a replaceable player as well, because ultimately I didn't think he necessarily gave Chelsea enough. But he's, you know, gone up leaps and bounds this season. The number eight shirt seems to have unlocked something in him this year. And he has been, you know, truly, truly brilliant. In terms of other improved players, I guess it's obvious it's easy to say Reese again has improved a lot. Obviously, his output, best output he's had in the league season. You know, those numbers, you know, ridiculously good. And if he'd been fit, just think how even higher they'd be as well. And then obviously Trevor's a brilliant shout there. Jack, unsung hero. So a Chelsea player who has perhaps gone under the radar this season, not necessarily got all the applause he deserved, but has been, you know, really good for Chelsea when he's played. Um (laughs)
1: I think based on based on our trophies and I know maybe it's it's more like to do with the stick towards the end of last season, but I think I'm struggling to think of of others. So I think I'd I'd go for Kepa in that Villarreal game, coming off the bench, saving some vital penalties and ultimately winning us winning us a major honour.
0: So I'd I'd go for Kepa. Fair enough. You did also step up in a few league games when Mendy yeah. was away. Adam, your most your unsung hero of the season? Um,
2: I'm not sure he hasn't been sung, I suppose. Um, but I was gonna say Trevor Chalaba, just to come into the squad um and to to take the chance that he was given in the summer to build on that with some very impressive performances. Um and and not suffer defeat when you start in your first season, the Chelsea first team um, across 120 minutes of football in all comps. I mean, that's hugely impressive. it um, got a bit weird but to the end of the season. I'm not really sure what was going on there because he just seemed to fall out of favour all of a sudden. But um, he managed to get back in. And and I think, and I, and I put this out on Twitter a little while ago, what I really like about Chalabra is if he has a difficult first half, you kind of know who have a good second half because he seems to be very good at learning the game as it's progressing, he he won't make the same mistake again in a game. Um, and I think that's a testament to his character and ability.
0: Yeah, fair. Enough. My unsung hero as well is Trevor Chalabert. Again, he was a player. I remember when we had Adam on in the start of the season preview, we kind of talked, you know, he, I think, and he'd had a great pre-season, but we still kind of thought he was he's more likely to go out on loan. And then the Super Cup happened. I think even then after that Super Game, they still taught but he still might go on loan after that. Uh, but to have a role he did, obviously played in the Champions League, scored against Juventus in the Champions League as well, was one of the three academy grads on the score sheet that night. And yeah, he's probably my unsung hero. And I'm going to give another, I will give an honourable mention to Marcus Alonso as well, because I think with Alonso, yes, there have been some clangers. You get that with Marcus Alonso. But to put in some of the level of performances he did for Chelsea in Ben Chilwell's absence, I looked particularly at those two cup finals. I thought he was absolutely sublime in both. He didn't really put a foot wrong in either of them. He was pretty good against Real Madrid in that, you know, second leg of a Bernabeu as He well, obviously had a goal, you know, ruled out for the softest handball ever. And I thought in general for a player stepping up for a player who we didn't think was, you know, going to be, you know, play as much as he did this year. I think he did, you know, a fairly good role and is probably a good candidate for unsung hero. Next word, player with the biggest turnaround. So, you know, a player who we've probably all written off and actually in the end had quite a big turnaround, had quite an important role to play at Chelsea. Jack, who would you go for?
1: Um, I, I for this one I was going to go for Alonso just based on the fact that he started those games at the start of the season and we all kind of knew Chile was away with England and didn't play so maybe he wasn't, wasn't that fit and it took him some time to get back into the team and then when Chile was in the team we were flying um, and Alonso didn't play and then when Chile got injured like you just alluded to Nick uh, some of the performance Alon- Alonso put in uh, on the whole, were brilliant. Um, he came up with some big goals against like United. I know we should have won that game, but yeah, he's he's lethal in the box. And if there's someone, if if I wanted the ball to fall to someone in the box for us, it would be him, hundred uh, percent. And then, like you said, the two cup finals. I Think definitely the FA Cup final. Um, something Alonso's always been slandered for was his. Was his ability to move his legs and uh, his fitness, and that game he he was running for 120 minutes non-stop, put away his penalty, put away his penalty in the supercar, and yeah, oh, he'd go, he'd be for me, um, one with the
0: biggest turnaround. Can I find who's your player's The biggest turnaround, the biggest comeback?
2: Um, would probably have to be Ruben Loftus Cheek, um, just from where he was. Going into the last week of the transfer window, when there was still this openness on Chelsea's part to let him go if an offer came in, um, a good one at least. Um, but credit to Ruben, he he didn't want to go out again. He wanted to try and prove himself in this squad, and yeah, he hasn't maybe played brilliantly every single time he's played. But credit to the guy. I mean, he's played a lot of games. I think he's played the most minutes um, he's ever played for in a single season for Chelsea. Um, which is huge for him. Um, he's played in midfield and, and had some very good games and had some maybe not so good games. But he's he's also played at centre back. He's also, I mean, he played at wing back in the Burnabout. I mean, what is that like? Who thought that was ever going to happen? Um, and he even had that little cameo as a centre forward. So he's basically played in in every position this season, a goalkeeper. Um, and for the most part, he's he's maybe not producing ten out of ten or nine out of tens, but he's he's never producing three or fours. Um, and I think that's probably an important thing to have in this squad Um, players who can step in versatile player, a guy who's very good in the dressing room, who's happy to be at the club, who who enjoys being at the club. So see, so yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to say Loftus-Cheek.
0: Yeah. I'm going to go Ruben Loftus-Cheek as well. I remember he came off the bench against Zenit for about a couple of minutes. And I thought it was too cool just giving him token minutes, but from there he's build and build and build. And look, he I say he started a right wing back in the Burnabout and he was actually quite good. Like he was genuinely like every single chess player that I like was good. So I have to say he was, you know, he was brilliant um, that night and say he's you know come back to play quite an important role and is, you know you're now looking at one of those players in midfield is a good squad player to have which you know maybe Ruben wants more we'll have to see this summer but he's a good very good option to have in this squad. Um, next one, the most disappointing player this season, Jack. I feel I know the answer, but you never know there might be some other answers.
1: Yeah, there's there's a big problem at the start of the season, but <laughs> like I said, but it's got it's got to be Lukaku. Um, based on the amount of money we spent on him the first few games where he bagged against against Arsenal we thought here we go we've got someone who's going to score a lot of goals and it just yeah it just didn't quite work there are times where he's just looking so lazy the fans were getting really frustrated with him but he started to claw it back towards the end of the season to be fair to him games like Leeds we thought oh he's actually looks like he's putting in a bit more effort here but at the end of the day, yeah, we bought him to score goals and even though he's scored fifteen goals in total this season, we expect more from him. So he'd be my disappointing player.
0: Fair enough, Adam. Who's your most disappointing player? I mean, there
2: might be a few. Um, <laughs> this oh, <is> <laughs> based on my pre season prediction, Andres Christensen didn't really step up and become the Chelsea player for the next five years. Um yes, Bromley Lukaku was was disappointing. How was pretty much pointless um, in terms of his loan. Like he had a couple of good games, but what a bizarre loan that's proved to be. Um, you know, Timo Werner. I wanted to have a better season from him. Probably say the same for Hakim Ziyech. Probably say the same for Christian Pulisic. I mean, there's a lot of guys who you know we mentioned earlier. You know, players that needed to have big seasons, and I'm not sure really any of them did, um, especially across the whole season. So. Uh, Yeah, Um, I will say Lukaku. I'm actually going to chuck in and maybe being contrary to what you guys just said, uh, I'll probably throw in Marcus Alonso just because, yes, he produced some very good performances in finals and in big games. And I kind of just think you're kind of the problem with this squad in that you can step up for big games, but for the -the run-of-the-mill Premier League stuff, your performances just haven't been there. And that's the issue that Chelsea players... Do seem to have this mental thing of, yes, in a big final we can deliver and we can play well. Um, but if we're playing against Brighton on a Wednesday night, no, I'm not, I'm not, no this isn't for me. I'm not going to be at my top level. And I think that's what Ches Tri have to move away from, which I appreciate. And it's maybe a bit harsh to single out Marcus Lonzo for that. But I just think he's the most obvious example of, of that, where you see his level in finals and big games. You're know, like, yeah, why, why wasn't this against Brighton the last weekend or, or, or that kind of thing?
0: Fair enough, fair enough. I'll be honest, I've also probably happily forgotten quite a few of the <laughs> games we played this season, so I may be <laughs> affected by thinking, yeah, most disappointed player. I feel like it's Lukaku. It, it kind of is. He was expected a lot. He was a man. I described him as a foolproof signing of the season preview show, so I was like, what, nothing could go wrong with this man. And it, yeah, it's not worked out. It's obviously not all his fault, but he'd be the most disappointed player. And I've got to, you know, I've probably got to say, and I've got to go Christian Piusic as well. I just don't, there's, you, I can't, you know, with what, what are we talking about? Lille, two games against Lille this year. He was good. You know, he scored a goal against Leeds away. I, not really many, you know, big positive things I could say about Peter and I'd have to have him up there. I feel like, unlike some players, I feel like Ziyech did have a period of form around January for every time he was good. Kyle obviously had that purple patch. Timo, yeah, he's fair. first Timo, our friend there as well. Um, next one, a bit happier. Match of the season. What was the best match or most enjoyable match, etc.? You watched Chelsea play the season, Jack. Uh, I
1: would have said Madrid away until Modric just whipped out that ridiculous ball that was going to be one of the best games I've ever been to so that would be up there but obviously based on what what happened after that past the outside of the boot uh, I can't be voting for that Um, I think that week where we beat Leicester 3-0 and we played quality and then beat Juventus 4-0 at home I think you could go for either of those two games as match the season but I think I'd go go for the Juve one just based on it being against a big European superpower. I know not as good as maybe what they've previously been, but they're still a good team. And for all the youngsters to get on the score sheet and contribute, um, uh, that was, yeah, a really good evening. And that would be my match of the
0: season. Fair enough. Adam, your match of the season?
2: Yeah, same game. Juventus at home, um, you know, for all the reasons I explained earlier, really.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. My match season again. It's Juventus. It's pretty, pretty standard. Um, high point of the season. So, the highest, you know, the I guess the happiest you felt, you know, during Chelsea season this year, Jack. I think the one I've just
1: the one I've just said yeah. that we Leicester Juve.
0: Fair enough, Adam. The same. Yeah, same, same. Coming out of that Juve game, yeah. Fair enough. Oh, yeah, I'd probably say that, and I would say the Club Cup. I was very, very happy we won that as well. Uh, Next one, m- the moment of the season. So this is one, I guess, isolated moment that happened during Chelsea. Season. It can be a moment that just happened in the game, a moment that happened just around Chelsea. Jack, what is your moment of the season?
1: I think I've gone for winning the Club World Cup just for the fact that that's completed the lot. Got to see the nice post on the Chelsea Instagram the next day of them with the big uh, ladder up outside the bridge to... To put on that club world Cup champions thing outside outside the stadium um and yeah, just to complete the full set for Roman before before he's had to sell up, so that one for me is my moment
0: then I find your moment of the season
2: I mean it has to be for me the Abramovich statement dropping um must have been an hour before the game against Luton in which he confirmed that he was selling the club um just because we knew, obviously, he'd been trying to pass it off uh, into the trustees and and that was all ongoing and bubbling under. And then to get this absolutely bombshell statement was just so seismic um, and really did mean the game against Luton meant very little in the grand scheme. Um, So, yeah, just for that complete moment of shock. um, I mean, for me, it has to be that just because of, of the repercussions
0: as well that we've seen over the last few months. Fair enough. I should clarify. I saw sort one of this moment. I meant sort of the happier moment of the season. I've got a more. I've got another <laughs> category, which is the most disappointing disappointment. So I guess we can maybe put that the happiest moment of the season for you, Adam. Um, I think yeah, winning the Club World Cup was was a nice moment.
2: Um, to to have that moment for the likes of Cesar quiet to to lift that trophy um, and, and complete his set was was a nice moment. So. Yeah, I'll go with that as my my nice moment of, of the season.
0: Fair enough. I've got a few for moments of the season. I've got Trev's goal against Crystal Palace and him falling to the ground, just pure elation. I was I mean, that was it was the third goal in a 3-0 win. So he are probably against Crystal Palace, you're probably not going crazy, but I was genuinely so delighted for the lad to see him get that moment. That that's got to be up there for the moment of the season. I've got Crystal Palace just away, just that away end singing champions of the world on repeat for pretty much 90 minutes. That was that was good fun. Um, the Club World well, Cup is a good job but my moment of season is Timo Werner uh, putting Chelsea 3-0 up at the burner bow because Jack I was there with Jack and I said out of the UH earlier that game we went through a wide range of emotions but I was genuinely nearly in tears when Timo scored I was so happy and for that moment and for those five minutes I genuinely thought I was which, w- witnessing one of the greatest comebacks in history and that Timo goal I've not watched it back but I will never forget that moment so that is my Moment of the season next, forward, the funniest moment of the season. I'm like, I kind of what the f am I watching here? Type thing, just something crazy that happened. Um, Jack,
1: uh, I've gone for Rudiger's like celebrations, his, his facial expressions during games, and when he scored that one against Brentford, I was like, what is this geezer doing? So <laughs> that's what I've gone for.
0: Fair enough, Adam. Your funniest moment of the season, <laughs> um. I might
2: say Wolves away just because I was just like, I found it almost, I just couldn't understand how this was happening as a, as a sort of Chelsea were playing a game when they had about 12 fit players and it was just completely ludicrous and it was sort of gallows humour, I suppose. Um, But yeah, I thought that was a very funny moment in that respect. Um, And yeah, like anything Antonio Rudiger does, I mean, come on. Like that, that moment against Malmo where he turned around to the Matthew Hard and and stuck out his tongue. Um, yeah, he he's he's going to be missed just from a sort of gift potential, if, if much of anything else.
0: Yeah, no, I think you know you could overdo Rudiger's funny dance, like running on the ball as well. Like when just let, when yeah. he's letting a ball go back to the goalkeeper, that run. I've got a couple of funny moments. Bring Sal on at the Burnabout when we need a goal. That was funny to me. I know it's maybe galaxy result. Bring Ross Barkley on the FA Cup final was also quite funny to me. And also playing Ruben Loftus-Cheek as a striker for about 50 minutes. Antonio Conte would have been watching that and he would have been in heaven seeing that happen. So those were some funny moments of the season. And then the biggest disappointment of the season, biggest, disappoint- most disappointing match of the season and then your most disappointing moment of the season. Jack, most disappointing match? Match? Oh, God. P- probably that Wolves
1: one, to be fair, just, it was... Yeah, just we shouldn't have pr- played it. It was, the football was pants. I was meant to go and then I'd got COVID. Um, so I'd, I'd probably go for that for match. Although there was a few other stinkers this season, wasn't there? So
0: I'm, I'm sure yeah.
1: <laughs> a few others. Um And then I think disappointment is uh, like a moment. You can just easily, easily go with the the sanctions for that and the, like unrest felt between all the fans and not being able to go to any more of the home games, etc. And the uncertainty,
0: so that would be my that would be my moment. Fair enough. Had a most disappointing match this season.
2: Um, I mean, in terms of performances, yeah, as Jackson, there's been quite a few. Um, I don't think I've been more bored at a Chelsea game for quite a long time, than I was for the West Ham one at Stamford Bridge. Genuinely, that was such a tedious game of football. Um. In terms of, I mean, disappointing one in in the purest sense, you know, Real Madrid at the Bernabeu is 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 crushing disappointment given the position Chelsea are in. Um, but the performance was so good, you can kind of accept it, I guess. But uh, but in terms of a disappointing match, yeah, I think West Ham home, just because it was a game where I was bored, which I think is probably the worst thing you can be at a football match. Um, and yeah, you know, like I've spoken about the Abramovich situation, the impact that I had on the club. Um, and we'll probably still have on the club for who knows years to come until we really do see what what the top early ownership is like.
0: Yep, yeah. uh, the biggest disappointing match could probably be about half our home games this season in the Premier League. Seeing as we won, we didn't win half them. Uh, Brighton won all is up there purely for the fact that they scored like very late on, and I genuinely like that was a game we were just hanging on and clinging on and clinging on. And I thought the amount of chances Brighton missed, uh, we would get away with one. That's up there. I can't even put Brentford up there because I just found it quite funny how Chelsea capitulated in quite a spectacular fashion. Um, the last five games, seeing as I couldn't be at them, I'm kind of wary to include them. But Wolves tool all conceding that goal from being 2-0 up with 15 minutes to go and realising top four was still not quite done. And being in a momentary state of panic and thinking, oh, Chelsea are Chelsea going to be able to get more points and win games? But has got to be up there. So, yeah. But biggest disappointing match. I'm going to go about Real Madrid first leg because we just stunk it out and left ourselves with so much to do. And was a lot of enthusiasm going into that. I remember, you know, we lost to Brentford for one and we had Daniel on. He, you know, him and I were both quite confident. Well, Chelsea suffered a similar result last year against West Brom. They then turned up in a big game and Chelsea didn't unfortunately turn up. And that's probably, you know, the first time Chelsea didn't really turn up in a, you know, a big game under Tuchel. It certainly felt like, so that's going to be up there. And then, yeah, most disappointing moments probably got to be the sanctions. That's just... A killer blow and again we just wanted the season to end after a while so those are kind of the awards we've given out now i'm just going to quickly move on to some i guess goodbyes because we don't know who every who who is leaving you know who's definitely but we do know two are jack antonio rudiger andreas christensen i'll start with antonio rudiger the situation the way it's played out is disappointing you know given the fact that actually for a while we did almost start to believe that we were going to keep him but I guess just words on Antonio Rudiger a player whose Chelsea career is probably quite hard to assess it's been marred it's been good the good the bad and the ugly I guess sometimes with with Rudy obviously we saw you know a player who under Frank was you know didn't seem to have a future here a player under Sari who was a bit hit and miss under Conte was fairly good you know man of a match in a cup final but it was really under Tuchel where we saw his best form just your kind of thoughts on on Antonio Rudiger and how much you're kind of I guess going to miss him
1: yeah just yeah like you said the inconsistency in the in the first few seasons for sure but uh as soon as Thomas Tuchel in, came in put his arm around him and put him in that team he's he's been an absolute warrior and I know he's leaving in kind of disappointing circumstances but the fans have absolutely loved him over the last 18 months uh he's put in shift after shift won't duck out of any challenges um and yeah, he's been a quality player to have around around the squad. So disappointing for him to go. But if if someone doesn't want to be at the club, um, then then they can go. They're not bigger than the club. So uh, yeah, wish him well at Real Madrid. But yeah, on to the next one. On to bringing someone in to to replace him and be a big figure for us.
0: And obviously, Jack Andreas Christensen. Yeah, it's not ended great with AC. He didn't re- he didn't get, I guess, a farewell. I'm not sure if that's, you know, a huge deal to him. But we kind of, you know, obviously we don't know the severity of it, but missing games quite late on, you know, we don't again, I don't we don't know how serious it is for him to be pulling out games, but a player who just, you know, after the last season, you know, what we saw, you know, the end of last season, stepping up in Champions League final, all, you know, I guess even the way he almost started this season, we were starting to really see mm-hmm. you know the highly fought after player Chelsea had. But in the end, while we're losing, you know, I still think a really brilliant defender. I don't think there's the general feeling is fans are that gutted that he's going. No,
1: nah, another one, just strange, strange career at Chelsea. But one of those that's come through come through the ranks was a good player in the youth teams. Um, and yeah, he, he, he was quality as well uh, under Tuchel. Like you said, in the Champions League final, came off the bench for an injured silver and didn't put a foot wrong and you thought he could really kick on like Adam, Adam predicted, but I don't want to speak too much about these pulling out of games and stuff. Cause I mean, you you don't quite know what's what's going on behind the scenes there um, and why he's pulling out of those games. Um, but it's disappointing at the end of the day. Um, but same again, just, yeah, wish him well, but um I'm sure we'll be we'll be getting in some good replacements for the both of them.
0: Yeah, Adam. I guess just your kind of thoughts on the careers of Antonio Rudy, and Christensen, I guess how they'll be remembered by by the Chelsea fans.
2: I mean, I think Rudy will be remembered very fondly, um, solely because of the last eighteen months, obviously, where he's been been ex- exceptional, um, a big character, um, a guy who when when he feels valued and. Um, is an important part of the team, gives you an absolutely huge amount. Um, So in that respect, you know, he's leaving on a high after some, maybe not always stellar years at Chelsea. Um, I'm not sure, I think he was called a legend after the the final game, which I think was a a step too far for me. Um, And I guess Andreas Christensen's almost on the flip side of that. He's he's leaving after a disappointing season um, where his... um, you know, fairly or unfairly, his reputation has taken a bit of a hit um, among supporters. Um, you know, as Jack said, you don't really want to speculate as too much as to you know why he's pulled out of games and and the reason behind that. You know, everybody has has things that they're dealing with, and it wouldn't be be right to to sort of speculate about those and and the reasons behind it. But um, but it is a shame because he was so good under circle last season that you really wanted him to kick on and and become this sort of centre back that I think everyone's been waiting for him to do now for sort of maybe three or four years and. Um, yeah, it's just uh, it's just a shame that hasn't happened.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. But I will say, big thank you to both of them. They're a huge part of Chelsea's success in recent years. I wish them well. There's absolutely no ill feeling towards either of them. They're a big part in helping what Chelsea achieved. And look, they won the Champions League. And I think any player who wins a Champions League at Chelsea deserves to get all the love and, and respect they get. And look, Tony Rudiger, I think, certainly will leave as a Chelsea cult hero. And Andreas Christensen, it's a shame the way it's ended. But again, he is an academy grad, obviously, you know, I guess signed from Bromby, but still, kept, still played through the academy and is someone who certainly will be, you know, I guess, remembered um, fondly. You know, I guess for, for he did have an important part to play. So, yeah, it's it's a shame, I guess, you know, the way Andreas Christensen's Chelsea career has ended. But, you know, wish him wish him well. Thank you for everything you did for Chelsea. You know, he, en- he leaves Chelsea you know, winning an FA Cup, Europa League, Champions League, Super Cup, Club World Cup, fair play to him. And then Tony Rudiger leaves with an FA Cup, you know, FA Cup, Super Cup, um, Europa League, Champions League, et cetera. So, yeah, he ends with same amount. So, look, big thanks to them. Um, Jack, you know, obviously, will leave us with a big rebuild to do next summer. And I guess, Jack, you know, we say goodbye to those two. We also say goodbye to Roman Abramovich. Um, Roman Abramovich, a man who made our dreams come true a big part in the history of his football club. Um, again, it's not ended perhaps for him the way, you know, he'd have liked, but just your kind of thoughts um, just on Roman, just discussing, you know, the impact he has had on this football club.
1: Just, I think all you can do is just show your appreciation and gratitude for what he's done to the club. I mean, uh, he's pretty much all I've ever really known at supporting Chelsea from when I was a youngster going all the way through to being 23 years old now. So, um yeah he's been there the whole way we've won a lot of trophies there's been great times there's been bad times, but ultimately he he he's seemed to make the the right decisions at the right time based on the trophies that we went on to win uh and it's just yeah, just his love for the club like he really does care about Chelsea Football Club right from the kids in the academy, improving those facilities down at Cobham, which. To this day are unbelievable world class facilities, um, caring about the women's team, diversity and inclusion, all these other aspects, charitable things, things that he did during COVID. So yeah, he's been a in a been a real credit to the club and um and we'll all miss him. Um and all you yeah, all you can say is thank you for what for what he's given us. And like I said earlier. It was just brilliant for us to be able to win that Club World Cup and complete the whole set under his under his regime.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. Roman Bumbach was a man who made our dreams come true. He gave, you know, he gave us some of the best moments, the best memories of our lives. Support Chelsea, obviously. Jack, you out in Porto last year. that's a memory, yeah. but will stay with you forever. And that's you know down to Roman. You know, um, yeah. I said, thank you. Will never ever be enough. I think it's it's as simple as that. Gee he's changed the direction of travel that Chelsea have gone in. They've gone from, you know, an almost club, I guess, you know, a club with history, but a club now that is, can probably count itself amongst Europe, you know, certainly can count itself amongst Europe's elites. And yeah, it's been, it's been a hell of a journey. It's been, at times it's been frustrating. It's been, you know, cr- you know, you kind of questioned decisions made, you've been hurt by decisions made, but he's done it with the best interests of everyone at Chelsea Football Club, you know, concerned. And look, I just have to say, I think it's all we can say is thank you. He's certainly changed, um, changed it. And he's yeah given us the happiest days of our lives. He's changed, you know, people's lives. So thank you. Thank you, Roman. And yeah, that's, um, that's all I've got to really say there. Right. Um, Adam, the Roman era comes to an end. Obviously you were, Jack and I, very privileged and lucky to get, grow up with, Oh, just knowing the roman and here, but for you you know you knew chelsea before roman um he's he's ending like he's he's going out i guess quite sad terms you know given the way you know he's been sanctioned etc but just your thoughts your feelings towards roman and brambridge and just everything he's done for you as a chelsea fan but also just for chelsea football club
2: i mean you know there's no denying that the modern chelsea that we know is is roman abramovich's chelsea um without his money there's there's no guarantee the club would have you know existed in its its current guise at all um so he's he's transformed the club um he's given supporters the best years of their lives as as Chelsea fans um the trophy wins the big name players the big name coaches um the memories that have been created you know it's all been a byproduct of Abramovich and and his money um obviously you Chelsea supporters, I guess, kind of live with this—not unease, I suppose, but sort of understanding of, of situations with with Abramovich, and and yeah, you know, look, it, it's come to its head this this season, and and it's going to be very different without him at the club. But um, but for what he's achieved as an owner, the standards that he's set, um, the expectations he's had, the the work he's done with the women's team, with the academy, with the foundation. I mean, he's an owner who didn't just focus on the men's team. He wanted the, every aspect of the club to be the very best it could be. Um, and as an owner, just in pure and, pure and simple a football club owner, I think you're going to struggle to get a better a better one than Roman Abramovich.
0: Yeah, yeah. Which leads us on to our final topic. The next custodian of Chelsea Football Club, Mr Todd Bowley. Jack, it's a new era at Chelsea. It's uncertain, but in a way it's exciting because as we mentioned earlier, this is, you know, the first new, I guess, real ownership change Chelsea, but we will we will really have experienced You're just kind of thoughts, you know, looking forward to to what lies ahead with Bowley, because there's a, there's a rebuild job needed. There's obviously, you know, we're losing big players this summer, but I guess given what we've heard, you know, if he likes, you know, data-driven and given how, I guess, scattergun Chelsea's approach has maybe been in recent years, leaving a mismatch. So are you kind of excited for perhaps maybe a, a less almost impulsive Chelsea ownership and hopefully maybe a more... Strategic and you know well thought out I mean, ownership for yeah, Chelsea.
1: That's difficult to answer, isn't it? We'll have to, we'll have to see what he's like. I don't know if Roman's left some uh, clauses in the uh, in the contract saying he's got to get rid of people if they start underperforming. But we'll just have to see. It, it is exciting, and you just yeah just hope that they can have the same kind of love and passion for the club and really invest in it. That's all we can all we can really hope for.
0: Yeah, Adam, obviously, Todd Birdie had wanted to buy Chelsea previously in 2019. You know, he's done a great job, you know, with the Dodgers as well, by all accounts. What are your kind of just your <clears> thoughts, <throat> your feelings towards Todd sort of Birdie? Because also, if I'm correct, you also gave, I guess, did a, was it a letter or you did not sort of article for come well, kind of saying like, you know, saying Todd, like, what's next, et cetera. If you want to maybe talk about what you kind of said in that, but also just your kind of general thoughts and feelings as well. Yeah,
2: the open letter was, um, was just a, you know, a message almost you know it's not something I you know or anyone truly expects when you write an open letter for the person to necessarily read it you just put it out there um, and it was just you know focused on yes there is a lot of work to be done at Chelsea um, on the first team squad and with the stadium but but to to keep in mind that you know it is a very unique club Um partly because of the Abramovich ownership there is this expectation of success now um, and I think the good thing for Chelsea supporters, from everything i 've read about top Boehly and everything i 've heard from from people who um, who have worked with him in the past or, or you know the early indications of Chelsea and you know they are very very early at this stage is this is a guy who does prioritize success he isn 't an owner who who wants to just take money out of the club he he sees the best way for a brand you know it 's a horrible word but but let's let 's use it in this context a brand to grow is is to have success and the Dodgers have spent an awful lot of money um, to do that, um, and if he is willing to repeat that, I mean, I am mean, not sure if it's possible because Chelsea are starting at a much higher base than, than the Dodgers were when he when he took charge or, or, or took you know uh, his part ownership in that. So it's going to be very interesting. Um, I do think Chelsea can stay successful with a a bit more of a smarter model, um, maybe not the the extra extra extravagance. Uh, of having a, a, the world's most expensive goalkeeper as your second choice things like that won't happen anymore um, which is probably a good thing um, but as, as sort of Jack alluded to I mean you, we're only going to know if this was a good takeover in two, three years down the line um, ultimately because we'll then know what the club looks like we'll then know what Stamford Bridge looks like we'll then know what the squad looks like my gut instinct is that it won't be the same. Of course, it won't be the same um, as under Abramovich, but change isn't always a bad thing. Um, change with the right people is sometimes a good thing, and I am very wary that these words may come back to bite me, um, but I do think Todd Bowley is, is a very good person to have as as sort of the leading person in this consortium.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. It's a, a new change at Chelsea. Exciting times, uncertain times, but I guess, exciting times and uh, the potential to be, you know, I guess write more history under a new owner. Um, I'll just, before we wrap up, I'll get your boys' thoughts, because obviously, Adam, Chelsea are losing Antonio Rudiger and Andreas Christensen. And in Antonio Rudiger, they've probably got one of the best sort of left-sided centre-backs in the world. They're losing, you know, Andreas Christensen as well. There's uncertainty about Jorginho and Kante, will they go, et cetera, as for the we don't know. Is it, I know it's a long way off and we don't know what Chelsea could do, but is it, Maybe next season, obviously, I think as we, you know, judging by what people would have heard, you know, the start season, we had a lot of expectations for this season. Is it maybe in a way quite a good thing and a nice and fans? maybe if they have slightly lower expectations for next season, just given the amount of surgery that is going to be needed and the fact that there is going to be a rebuild taking place and that ultimately Chelsea might have to get a little bit worse before they get better, i.e. that, you know, unfortunately the top form realistically might be what we aim for next year?
2: Yeah, I, I think that's probably fair. Um, there is quite a lot of work to be done in this squad, as you said. You know, yes, defense is a is a big issue, um, and you know, again, I may come back to sort of have egg on my face in this, but it does look like Jules Kounde will be done. Um, and then it's how else do you build that defense? Do you do you bring back Levi Colwell, which I think you should personally? Um, do you still get another one if you do? Do you let Aspel Acueta go to Barcelona again? I think. Maybe, but then who do you cover in as as right wing-back for Reese? Who do you cover as left wing-back for for Ben Chilwell if you let Alonso go? What do you do, as you said, Kante and Jorginho? Do you sell one? Do you keep both? Do you sell both? I mean, big decisions. Conor Gallagher should be coming back into the squad. What about Billy Gilmore, who, yes, hasn't had the best season on loan at Norwich, but we've got evidence, quite strong evidence, that you can put him in this Chelsea team and, and he can perform. Um then you've got other questions further forward about, about three or four attackers. And I mean, you just look at this squad and you think, yeah, there's a, a lot of work to be done to really, truly bring it into to Tuchel's vision. And and maybe next season is uh, the cliché transitional season um, between the old era and the new one. Um, and if that means Chelsea don't reach a Champions League final and, and two domestic cup finals, and and maybe they do just get a top four place, Yes, it's, it's not necessarily the, the, you know, the big season people want, but I guess in a similar way to Frank Lampard's first season when he he had the transfer ban and everything, you know, he got that top four finish and it was important for the next season that followed, even if that season was quintessentially a Chelsea season when they sacked somebody and then won something.
0: Yeah, no, fair enough, Jack. Is it almost one of those? Because there is uncertainty. And look, as I we said, we're losing two, whatever you think of them, two brilliant centre-backs. Not easy to replace for his surgery in this squad. You know, I think we've done on our pod recent weeks with quite a few players i think we'd be quite willing to let go of chelsea obviously that's not going to happen you're not gonna lose all but there is a lot of surgery needed and given what we've seen with chelsea this year similar trends emerging to previous seasons either league form you know still being inconsistent is it one of those next season it's early days and obviously you know we can't you know the transfer window we've not you know done any business fair yet is it one of those where maybe just might be good just to temper expectations and just maybe go you know, if we can get a maybe a season, you know, a third or fourth place finish again, maybe similar like to this, you know, it's not bad because we just need to ensure that Chelsea stay in the Champions League essentially. Is that almost a big off next season just Champions League football? No, and maybe if we I can get a domestic so. cup, that's brilliant as well.
1: Yeah, I think I think that yeah, we need to manage the expectations. We're not gonna go and challenge like you've both like you've both just said, so many players could go, but we can't physically get rid of Every player that we think could go because we can't be bringing in 10, 12 players. Um, they're not, you, you're just not physically possible and then it won't mold straight away, etc. So, yeah, I think just get top four and, and then, yeah, a, a cup would be nice. If we can get to a final and actually win one,
0: that would be good yeah no exactly if we can end the Wembley curse that would be lovely stuff obviously you know this could change by the time we record our season preview given what goes on at the, you know at Chelsea but obviously we just want to I guess keep you know expectations don't want to get too you know ahead of ourselves because yeah we don't know we don't know what the future holds but that's going to wrap it up for that chess podcast for the final time this season I want to thank our guest Adam for coming on Adam thank you for all the time you've given us during the season for all the times you have appeared on the show and thank you for all your brilliant work covering Chelsea this season before you go Give yourself one last plug where people can find you, make and find all your work.
2: Thank you very much. No, very kind words. Sorry, this one's been a bit difficult to grab our own, but we got there in the end. Um, (laughs) Yeah, uh, it's just that Adam Newton um, across social accounts. And yeah, do please visit the Football London website and, you know, you can just read my stuff if you want to have to read the others.
0: Lovely stuff, lovely stuff. Uh, as for us, we're on all your usual pod- podcast platform fighters, Apple, Spotify, etc. If you've enjoyed, leave us a rating and a review. Just yeah, uh, we're on Twitter at that Chelsea Pod, Insta at Chelsea Pod, etc. Whenever I tweet put out, any likes, retweets goes a long way. Shares onto other people's timelines. At the end of the day, we're just Chelsea fans talking about the one club that we love, that is Chelsea. And it's been a long season, Jack. But we've got there for the final yeah. time this season. Thank you for all your efforts this season, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure. You too, mate. Appreciate it. Right, that's it, listeners. See you in August. Until the next episode, keep the blue flag flying high. Sports Social Podcast Network.